Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and I am joined with my co-host, David Partain. Hello, David. How are you? Hello, Laura. I'm good. Happy to be with you. Thank you. On the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses all while deepening client relationships. And I have to tell you, I am really excited about today's episode. We're going to be speaking with a true trailblazer in this industry. Rita Robbins founded her firm, Affiliated Advisors, in 1994, and she was one of the first women to launch a super OSJ, Office of Supervisory Jurisdiction. Rita now leads more than 85 advisors in 45 branch offices across the country, representing more than $2.4 billion in assets under management. Rita is passionate about helping advisors build and grow their businesses, and she is equally passionate about helping people outside of our industry further develop their businesses. She's a frequent speaker within this industry and was honored by Investment News as one of the women to watch in 2018 and recognized in 2020 by Crane's New York business in their notable Women of Financial Advice issues. Rita, welcome to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Well, thank you so much, Laura and David. It's a delight to be here. Rita, we're delighted to have you on the podcast you became an OSJ, and now we're going to help you become a FAP, a Flexible Advisor Podcast guest. How about that? That is fabulous. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So, not that credential to my cards. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, one of the many nice things about co hosting this podcast with Laura, besides the fact that she is passionate about helping advisors herself, is that we're regularly introduced to interesting people throughout the industry. And I love that our listeners and industry colleagues oftentimes will reach out and suggest people to invite. You were one of those people that multiple people mentioned that we need to secure as a guest. Really excited about this conversation. And I'd love to kick things off by getting to know a little bit more about you and about focusing on how you came into the industry. And if I understand it correctly, you actually didn't start out to become a financial advisor, but instead you had your sights set on becoming a stockbroker. Tell us about your journey into becoming an advisor. Well, it's absolutely true that my heart was set on becoming a stockbroker. I actually started off as a wire operator for a large wirehouse. That is the person, typically, of course, a woman who sits in a little kind of desk and types orders uh, down to the uh, floor of the exchange for the brokerage firms. And I loved uh, the market, and I loved that I had to know a little bit about a lot of things. And I, I loved working with advisors even back then although they were called stockbrokers. Mm -hmm. But there was a rule in the wirehouses, and that was there, there was one woman per branch, and that was it. My branch already had a woman. And so sadly, I never became a stockbroker, 
And I've actually never been a financial advisor, but I was lucky enough uh, to meet one of the pioneers in the independent broker-dealer space, Jay Lewis, who started one of the first independent broker-dealers. And he was introduced to me and he thought, wow, you're, you don't belong in the back office. You should be marketing. I said, great, what are we going to market? And he said, mutual funds and unit trust. And I said, well, what are those? <laughs> so, <laughs> so from the beginning, I've always had a passion about working with advisors. And from the beginning, I knew that this was a very male-dominated industry. Yeah, I actually started off in the unit trust area myself. I totally understand. And we were dealing with a lot of stockbrokers. It was a whole transformation of language when advisors was coming into four and where that's who we were talking about were advisors, advisors. And so it's a, it's been a whole transformation. So glad to hear of someone else who actually knows what the wire in wirehouse meant, the stockbroker. And I love LinkedIn. I read your LinkedIn profile and you talk about your passion of helping advisors build the business of their dreams. All right. So tell us about your firm and how you've been able to get help advisors better grow their businesses. I spent, uh, after I was director of marketing for this really innovative, independent broker-dealer, I went to work for one of the country's most respected and largest asset managers, Lord Abbott, where I was the first woman wholesaler. And I spent 10 years living in advisors' offices, literally living in advisors' offices. I began to really understand and learn about what made a successful practice, how important creativity and marketing and passion and being a lifelong learner were to success. I had a uh, daughter when I was 36 years old, and I just didn't want to be on the road on a fairly constant basis every week of every month of every year. I left that job and thought, well, no, <laughs> what am I going to do now? The only thing I knew was about what steps and measures and protocols and practices it took to be a successful advisor. It was uh, with that deep knowledge base, but an extremely limited one that I started affiliated advisors. Rita, that is so interesting. And tell us a little bit more about the early days of affiliated advisors and, and, you know, how you really got it off the ground. I had no idea what I was doing. And that is, you know, obviously the first thing I will tell you, I had no idea what was involved in running a business. Um, And I, I still don't always think I know exactly what's going to happen in 10 years from now. But what I I thought then, and what I continue to think as um, you know, the years and the decades roll by, is that if you keep your eye on that dream, if you keep your eye on, on what you want to have happen, it's pretty, it's much easier to get there than if you're thinking about the downside and what can go wrong. So part of what um, I have learned over the years, and in the beginning, it was really just a, such a small tiny business. And one of the advisors that I had met was kind enough to give me office space and a phone. And I was off and running because I just spent 10 years living in an advisor's office. So uh, the, the buildup was gradual. It was extremely organic. And then as now, uh, we have a unique relationship, the advisors, and my, not only myself now, but my team. And we're still taking a very consultative approach to working with our advisors. Our experience across the board helps us w- 
with advisors in, in literally growing the practices of their dreams. So we help in every area from business development to social media strategies, succession planning, you know, forward thinking, uh, helping them problem solve, importantly, helping them run businesses. There's so many complexities involved now for financial advisors that it's really fabulous for all of them who work with us to have this as, you know, large second set of eyes and a very consultative approach that our team uh, takes with them. And I should tell you that we're eight of us on the team and seven of us are women. You've been at this a while in this uh, form. Tell us about some of the success stories of advisors who have come to Affiliated that that resonate most with you. And And were there advisors that came over that just didn't end up making it. And I'm wondering, you know, could you kind of tie that together? I'm I'm curious if there are certain characteristics that you see that, you know, really breed success and, and other characteristics when you see them gives you pause and, and wonder if this advisor is going to make it. That is such an interesting question, Laura. And I do have to tell you that I think one of the best training grounds for myself for becoming an OSJ was having been a wholesaler for 10 years. You know, you needed to, it was very much a kill what you eat compensation system. And so you needed to be able to pretty quickly assess and judge if the, if the advisor that you were spending time with was, you know, going to really hear the story, uh, really understand the economics behind what you were trying to explain in terms of the strategy of a particular mutual fund, and whether they were going to be able to incorporate and use that in their discussions with their clients. So you, you have to, you know, I think I developed sort of the sixth sense of who was going to kind of make it and, and be worthy of my time and who wasn't. And I will tell you, I, I have really, really that instinct or that learned uh, experience has really been helpful. So the three stories that really come to mind for me as the most successful stories and the ones that I find the most endearing and heartwarming, two have to do with women. Uh, One was a very successful investment banker in London, uh, moved to the US, became a, a very successful advisor in a very prestigious firm the story. She got married to a wealthy doctor, had some children, left the workforce, discovered a decade and a half later that she was divorced and on her. She wrote me a letter. And the moment I met her, I knew that she was going to be hugely successful again. And she had to start all over taking her exams. And she was almost in tears when she told me that she'd spoken to like 15 other firms and nobody had any interest in working with her. So that is a a story that has made a difference in my life and certainly in hers. Another success story is that I worked with I have a fabulous ad- advisor. I work with him and his son, and they had a absolutely brilliant administrative assistant. She had gone to law school. She had a master's degree. She ran this office with uh, just marvelously brilliant at everything that she did. And I always thought that she would have made a really amazing financial advisor. And she was really fearful of the responsibilities that that involved. It took her a number of years and a lot of pushing and she got over it. And now she's a very, very, very successful advisor. And I couldn't be more proud of her because I I always knew that she was capable of this and needed just, I think, a little bit 
support and and maybe a little bit of pushing. Maybe the biggest success story was that I was introduced to someone in 1994 who was just coming out of uh, or just starting recovery. He had literally no money. He had literally no clients. I actually at one point think I helped him pay the utility bills so the lights could be kept on in his home. And he has grown into a multi, multi-million dollar business. Through it all has served his community and has been able to, to pay it forward and help other people who, who are in recovery. So Rita, I'm going to ask if you could get, dig a little deeper. What are some of the qualities that you saw? The qualities that instinctively for me become apparent as somebody compassionate and are they passionate? Are they a lifelong learner? Uh, do they listen? Are they going to be empathetic? Is is it is it bigger than that? Are they successfully executing already? And it can be juggling children and a career. It can be taking care of aging parents and children and a career. And sometimes there's just a certain something that you see that's hard to define, but you'll recognize it when you come across it, or at least I've been lucky enough to been correct in my uh, evaluation. And I think more my, just my gut response to people. Wow. That is um, really, <laughs> that that's a wonderful story. And, and I love the, the human side of it and your, your passion about it. And and I know, you know, clearly we know that you have passion for helping advisors, even those that don't know that they should be advisors at the time, helping them build their businesses. You have another passion that you've told me about, completely unrelated, that is also helping other types of small business owners. I'd love for you to tell the audience about that because it feels like a 180 from our industry, but uh, you're you're making a real impact there as well. Well, it is really so surprising that even as I tell this story, I kind of think to myself, really? So I should back up just a little bit and let you know that I was born in New York City. I spent about 15 years in the suburbs, not where I wanted to be, but I was young and, and my parents didn't give me a vote in this. But I always knew that I was going to end up in New York City again. And so I'm telling you this because I'm I'm a city girl. Right around Thanksgiving in 2015, one of my advisors here in the Midwest called me up and said, literally, would you like to buy a lavender farm with me? And I thought, oh my gosh, of course, like who wouldn't want to own a lavender <laughs> farm? Not that I had seen it, <laughs> obviously not that I knew anything about farming. And I went home and I said to my husband, you know, you are never going to believe what I did today. We've been married for close to 30 years, so it's bound to expect almost anything. And he said, you've never had a backyard. What, how are you going <laughs> to farm? So Laura, in a way, it's very much the same kind of process that went behind building an OSJ. Our farm, Lavender Hill Farm, is in a, a small resort community in the very northern part of Michigan. It was called like the Hamptons of the Midwest. We knew that not only did these beautiful 33 acres need to remain an, part of the community and, and allow people to enjoy it, but in, as in any resort community, at the end of the summer, everyone goes home and these small family-run businesses 
are left uh, virtually clientless and customerless October through May. We quickly decided that this little farm was going to be an economic development engine. And we co-op with everyone from chocolate makers to distilleries to family bakeries to women who spend the winter making sachets and candles and soaps for us. So we use our lavender as uh, the basis for co-oping and working with small, very small family-owned businesses, probably several dozen now. And then we provide a retail outlet at our beautiful farm, which has become an enormously popular agritourism destination. So people come and they can see 26 varieties of lavender, you know, in bloom in July, and then go and buy everything from sparkling wine to, you know, CBD products with our lavender in it. So it's been this wonderful collaboration. And in many ways, I've spent my entire life dealing with concepts. And this is an actual thing. For me, who'd never planted anything, it's been really an incredibly remarkable experience to plant something and watch it grow. And unlike my firm, where we usually have a very limited number of interns, we have about 30 interns every summer and everything from hospitality to horticulture and agriculture. Watching things grow, whether it's plants or young adults, has been incredibly rewarding. Well, that is fantastic. And I do have to share with you that I was so excited that this summer during the pandemic, I I planted hydrangea bushes and they grew and and I was really excited about that. But it seems like small potatoes to what you've been doing with lavender. So, so kudos to you. Laura, we all have to start somewhere. <laughs> okay, so let's move back to talk about trends in the financial advisory industry. We all know women and minorities are severely underrepresented in this space. There was some good news this year. More women have joined the industry and over the last year, which is wonderful. We need that. But Women represent 51% of the U.S. population and still, you know, under 20% of financial advisories. And when we talk about black and brown people, you know, that number combined is about 5%. Going back to the woman aspect, is it is it that women just aren't interested or do you think it's more that they don't know about this industry? Or, or like you mentioned earlier, there was one spot for a financial advisor back in your early days at a wirehouse firm. Do, do you feel that they don't feel like they fit in? What, what, why is this number so stagnant for so long? Laura, I think it's, it's, it's many of these factors that you've mentioned. But I think there's one more factor. From my own personal experience, I just want to tell you that I'm consistently surprised and saddened by the lack of women and people of color in our industry. Uh, I sit on several advisory boards, uh, you know, industry advisory boards. And just last month, I was in an advisory board, a Zoom meeting, of course, and I counted 23 white men and myself. And I just thought after all these decades, you know, maybe I'm not the only woman in the room anymore. Sometimes there are two of us. But I think that there's a huge problem and we all have to work 
together to overcome this. And part of it is that women still don't feel like they fit in. We still are not providing the things that I think as an industry we need to provide to appeal to more women, for instance. We are not, for instance, having training programs. Many of the ways that people came into this industry in the past have been through insurance companies and the wirehouses and the banks, and everyone has cut back on their training program. We also have this severe lack of leadership in our industry of women and people of color. And you know what they say, if you don't see it, you can't be it. We have not gotten around the way the industry markets to men and treat women as if it's a niche, like, oh, well, put some pink heels on this ad. And it's not a surprise that over 50% of women with a million dollars or more to invest don't have financial advisors. We have to make our industry a lot more reflective and a lot more appealing to everyone. I think about things like returnship and training programs that we don't have. There's a program called the Mom Project. And, you know, here's an example of how we don't make our industry very welcoming. If you serve in the military, which is a great honor to be able to serve our country, your FINRA licenses are sort of suspended. But if you leave uh, this industry to give birth to a child and care for them, that clock is still running. And after 24 months, your licenses expire and you have to retest. So we think that we need to change who we reach, perhaps through colleges and universities and additional programs that have to do with financial literacy earlier on, maybe high school. We need to have a consistent and transparent compensation and career path for women that include benefits. So this is not just a a cold calling success sort of career. And we need to think about everything from the way that we market to what our offices look like and where they're located and how we can engage women and people of color so that they understand that this is a helping career. It is not about money. There is flex, there's very flexibility in terms of the time. And this is um, a career that people can really be compassionate and caring about. It's, It's not about alpha and R squared and all of this kind of lingo that we use in a consistent basis that prevents clients from really understanding what we're talking about and also acts as a boundary to entry for people who could really, really be a wonderful part of our business. Well, Rita, thank you for all of the your great ideas. I will ask you though, we always ask this last question of all our guests, can you leave us with a couple actionable ideas that advisors could take away to build the business of their dreams? Well, yes, I'd love that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, the first one would be actually dream about your business. I, I ask advisors consistently, what is your dream practice three years from now, five years from now? Where do you want to be? What's your market? Who are you most comfortable working with? So I say the first part is dream. And then it's a little easier, I believe, once you have that dream, parts of that dream established to work backwards, to move forward towards that. And I'd like to ask advisors to focus on two areas of marketing, perhaps that are different when where they're focusing now. And I'd like to ask them to forget about the Dora columns and the compasses and the lighthouses and the you know, retired couple and sailboats. And I'd like them to think more about who they are as people, 
and what drove them into this industry, uh, because there's always a story about this, an important, impactful, and meaningful one. And the second thing is to think about how they help their clients. So instead of listing what their certifications might be or what they provide in terms of uh, asset management, retirement planning, estate planning, and wealth transfer, let's, let's change that around. And let's talk about how families really benefit from what the advisors do. And I think that if they can shift the focus on what their dream is, and their marketing to who they are and how they real life in real ways help their client. I think those could have huge impacts on how an advisor's success and trajectory will turn out. That's great. Well, thank you, Rita. It was a really a delight to have you on the podcast today. And we look forward to speaking with you again. Well, thank you so much, David and Laura. I appreciate such great interviewers and so enthusiastic. Oh, thank you, thank you. Rita. So if you are an advisor and would like to know more about affiliated advisors and also want to see photos of Rita's awesome lavender farm, just go to affiliatedadvisors.com. That's A-F-F-I-L-I-A-T-E-D advisors.com. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you will find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.